Welcome to Rewired, a podcast where we discuss our own journeys with an eating disorder and how we rewired our brains away from an ED mindset to full recovery. We will also be joined by inspirational guests who share their experience, knowledge and advice to give hope and show that recovery is possible. Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Meg. Welcome to the Rewired podcast. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very privileged to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, Tallulah, our producer and editor, actually introduced you to us Mm -hmm. and she shared some of the videos from your body image workshops, which were just fab. I think it's a really great mix of like information around the history of diet culture and body ideals and then also messaging around like detaching our self-worth from the body, which I just found it was a great combination uh, in the session. So hopefully we can like dive into some of that today in our chat. Would you be okay to just start by introducing yourself and maybe your own recovery, your own experiences? What made you become interested in body image? Yes, absolutely. Um, so um so hi, I'm Chrissy. Um, so I've worked as an eating disorder recovery coach for the last um I think two and a bit years, three years. And before that, so I was in treatment myself for an eating disorder just as 2014 turned into 2015 I mean I when I came in from when I went into treatment for my assessment I didn't even know I had an eating disorder um body hatred was I didn't even consider it an abnormality I just thought oh well this is life I've always done it everyone else does it okay that's just how life is but uh so I was in treatment for two years and three four months and it absolutely just blew my mind and in the best ways possible um and as I was recovering and getting better and cutting down on treatment I decided to train as an actor because that had always been my dream did that for three years um but while I was uh training I started going back to uh, the place that I recovered in and I was covering groups every now and then on recovery and really just trying to give the clients a little bit of hope and to let them know you know I've been there uh, it is possible not just to recover from an eating disorder, but to fully recover from everything. And that really opened my interest in mental health. Uh, so then I trained as a coach, worked as an ED recovery coach. Um, and now I'm training as a counsellor because I'd like to be a therapist. Um, but my interest in body image absolutely was awakened when I was in treatment. I think that first few weeks of treatment were the most mind blowing for me because I was essentially taught um, by my therapist there. They told me, you know, this pain that you're in, this self-hatred, that's not meant to be there. You know, that you weren't born like that. And when I was told this, I, I, I just had this moment of, oh my goodness, you mean to tell me that this isn't how life has to be? This isn't how life is meant to be? And it was like all these memories, all of these, this years of, not just body hatred, but unhealthy relationships, uh, feeling guilt all the time, feeling like I'm a bad person, feeling like an outsider, all of this, this pain that had reverberated through all areas of my life, not just food and body image. It, it I, I suddenly looked at it all and saw this isn't how it has to be. And then body image especially became such a fascination of mine because I'd hated my body for so long and with such passion and learning what was underneath that and seeing the commonalities between me and not just people I was in treatment with but the wider world how it was just seeped in everywhere 
Um, and that's really where my passion started. And I started reading the work of scholars and incredible people who've done all this amazing work. And I was just, yeah, I, I the bug bit me at that point. <laughs> wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's so true as well, isn't it? How widespread it is, even recovering from an eating disorder you're almost recovering into a slightly disordered world I find sometimes it's almost commonplace it's normal even like you said to hate your body or want to change your body or think there's a body type you should have that how are you going to aim for that body that kind of thing so you're kind of recovering away from an eating disorder into a world that I would say has some disordered views at times absolutely and not just on food and body but everything i mean our i can only speak for our western society it's the one that i know but it is a deeply traumatized and unhappy society um there's every form of prejudice there's so much pressure there's all these ideals and everything and people are exhausted and that absolutely what you said recovering into a disordered world with food and body image but i think what i noticed is yes absolutely there's there's this insidious just body hatred everywhere but I don't think anyone's likes it. I don't think anyone's really happy with the fact that body hatred is there and there is such a thing as a beauty ideal. And I suppose what I'm, I always encourage myself and others to do is, you know, we can, we can create something different and we don't just have to go along with it because it sucks. Uh, and no one deserves to ever be told for any reason you are bad or you're not good enough. So why should we stand for it? Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Chrissy. And in your workshops, you talk a lot about this and you talk about um, the history and the origins of diet culture and how there are so many systems at play in that origins, whether it be the healthcare or the patriarchal, or the racial. That was so interesting to me, by the way, um, learning about that. So could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners to hear a bit about that. Thank you. Sure. And just to disclaim, Everything I'm about to say, this work is not my own. This is not research I've done. This is the work of very uh, talented, clever scholars that came before me. So I would, like, obviously I'm glad people are listening, but I would really encourage anyone listening to this to go and seek out the original uh, sources of this work because it's not my own. And you do reference it in your workshops. You do reference a lot of amazing books. So people yeah. go away and learn more if they want to. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll reference them here as well. So when I was in my intellectual, you know, reading, studying stage of, of trying to understand, first of all, why does diet culture exist? And if we want to boil down diet culture, it, it's fat phobia. That's what it means. Uh, diet culture is the uh, veneration of the thin ideal and the demonization of the fat body. And as I said, it was it was so normalized to me. Oh, this is just how it is. Being thin is good. Being fat is bad. And when I started trying to educate myself, I thought, this is ridiculous. There's no logic behind any of this. It's like saying redheads are good, blonde hair is bad. What idiot came up with that? So I started doing this reading and I discovered this incredible book by uh, such an amazing scholar called Sabrina Strings. And she wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body. Um, so please go and buy it now. It's amazing. Um, and she literally gives a almost a timeline of how the uh, fat phobia, how the thin ideal even became a thing. So I'm just going to briefly mention the main points that what I learned from her. Um, so essentially Sabrina Strings uh, explains in her book and shows that the 
The thin ideal and fat phobia is a product of white supremacy originally. So how she explains what happened was um, there was a time in America when uh, the newspapers were flooded with headlines saying things like, oh, uh, our, our women are too thin. This is terrible. How are they going to have healthy, strong, strapping sons? What's going on? So thinness was uh, it was terrifying. It was seen as the decline of a nation. And then during the transatlantic slave trade, um, the race scientists, race scientists, and uh, those who were pushing their disgusting ideology, saying no, 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 we white people are superior. They were using skin color to create these distinctions to explain, well, to try and give a justification of the horrific things they were doing to black people. Um, and there came a time when mixed race children started being born and they thought, oh, no, we can't we can no longer use skin color as such a clear cut way of determining who is superior and who's inferior. What are we going to use? So they decided on size, on weight, and how they, well, one of the ways that Sabrina says they explained it was um, to be thin is to show that you are abstaining from food and you are abstaining from sex, you're very pure, so you're closer to God. Whereas if you're bigger, if you're this, that, and the other, it shows that you're further away from God. So that was their way of, their ridiculous way of trying to justify their, their heinous crimes on innocent people. Um, and after that, I mean, it, it seems like there was a whole multi-layered process of how this came to still be a thing in our society. But there were different factors. For example, Adolf Quetelet, who was a, a statistician, so a mathematician, created this uh, system called the body mass index, um, known as BMI. And he essentially created it to measure weight across a, a population of white European men. So this uh, measuring tool was in no, it was not created to measure health, especially not of individual people. And, uh, and he, I don't think he intended it to be used for that. But at some point, insurance companies got a hold of it and thought, hang on a second, how can we save money? Ah, I know, if we can have a cutoff point from when a person is deemed healthy to unhealthy by, by weight versus height ratio, then we can not cover them because we can say, ah, you are unhealthy, you are overweight. And that's where the concept of overweight, underweight even came from. Uh, obviously, I don't have to, I'm sure you will know, and listeners listening to this BMI is a load of crap. Uh, it doesn't take into account any individual factors. It doesn't take into account race, gender, uh, age, muscle, um, and it wasn't even supposed to be used for that, but for some reason, it's still a thing. So essentially, the the roots of seeing fatness as a bad thing, as an unhealthy thing, is completely illogical. It was made up once upon a time by some very horrible people who wanted to be powerful. Um, and to reference another great scholar, Naomi Wolf, who wrote The Beauty Myth, um, she outlines how uh, she outlines the patriarchal uh, systems at play when it comes to the body ideal. So uh, she talks about, you know, why is thinness really shoved down our throats as the, the be all or end all of beauty and health? And how she explains it was thinness is not a it's not a, an attack on female beauty. It's a it's a system to try and keep women obedient 
So essentially, this is my layman's take on it. The patriarchy, the men in charge decided, hang on a second, if we can convince women through constant brainwashing media, other sources, media, the main propagator of that, that their worth is entirely hinged on how they look. If we can convince them that they will be unloved, they will be unsuccessful, unwanted, if we can convince them that they have even less power in this world than they already do, depending on how they look, they're going to be so busy dieting and exercising and starving that we can be in charge and we can go for the big jobs. We can make the big money. We can be CEOs. They'll be too tired for that. So, and again, this is, the, Naomi Wolf outlines this so brilliantly and, and shows so many different examples of, again, how the thin ideal is illogical, it's meaningless. And actually it's a way to keep us quiet, us women, to keep us, obedient and hushed so the men can be in charge so the patriarchy can stay in power um so those are the two main systems that i learned white supremacy and patriarchy they go hand in hand in trying to control everyone wow that's so interesting to learn about these things so fascinating and it's so true because so much of your mental energy does go on dieting and trying to fit the beauty ideal it's true when you think about all that energy with, that was spent on that that could be spent on making the world a better place, furthering yourself in the career that you want to go in, whatever you want to achieve in life. It's it's actually really frustrating. Did you find that it made you really angry and then maybe like rebel against it as opposed to just conforming with it? It makes me still furious. Like it absolutely. And the thing that really angers me about all this, I mean, all of what I just said, but the thing that really hurts, I suppose, and this goes back to my own experience, was, you know, I believed for the longest time that my my body size, it didn't just mean, you know, success and this and that. Ultimately, it meant, am I, am I going to be alone forever? Um, is anyone going to love me? And that is the thing for me that there was the pain point. That's what kept me conforming. And part of my anger and my rebellion was realizing, hang on a second, all I've been told, and not just through diet culture, but through my own traumatic things I've been through, was that there is something fundamentally unlovable about me as I am. I'm gonna try and prove myself wrong. At the time I didn't believe it, but I'm gonna try and prove myself wrong. And I started noticing people in treatment was, were loving me. I started making friends, for example, when I went to drama school, I when I started dating and I found my partner, all of these people, I started learning, hang on a second, love is nothing to do with how I look. And, and I don't love these people for how they look. That's disgusting if I were to say that. And when I really allowed myself to be brave and get in relationship with people, starting with my therapist and then taking baby steps to bring that to the outside world, I really started proving to myself everything we've been taught is wrong. The quality of your life, sadly, in a lot of ways, you know, how you look is, uh, does affect that. For example, you know, the fact that we live in a racist society, but no one deserves to, to feel that they fundamentally have to change themselves in order to be lovable and to find people that respect and uphold and honor them as they are whether they fluctuate in weight whether they lose their hair whether they lose their job whatever it is um so that's the thing that really is what drives me forward with all the other stuff but yeah that's the thing that makes me furious and that I 
I think is at the forefront of my work. It's this strong urge to say, no, you you do not deserve to feel that you are unlovable unless you tweak something. That, yeah, no one deserves to feel like that. Especially when the thing that we're told to tweak, it's not even tweakable for everybody. It's not attainable, this body ideal. And if it potentially is attainable to you, at what cost? That's not really spoken about, is it? There's just photos and images put on social media and advertising and films, what have you. But you don't hear about the life that exists around that body and the pain taken to get there, the sacrifice, the life sacrifices, the relationship sacrifice, the time, energy, attention, headspace, relationships, personality, everything, if it's even attainable to you. Yes, absolutely. That's the thing. I When I look, think back to when I did look like the ideal, um, well, as close to the ideal as I, I, I could, um, because I wasn't naturally built like that, my life was a mess. I look at my life now that's filled with people who love me and a job that I love and fun experiences and energy and good health and the ability to eat sugar whenever I want. And would I trade that for a life of nothingness? Of course not. But you're absolutely right. At what cost? That's the thing that isn't shown. The media loves to tell us, ah, look like this and you'll have this, that and the other. If you talk to anyone who's really been there and then come out of it I think you'll learn something very different Mm -hmm, totally yeah yeah that I used to get it all the time in my recovery seeing someone and thinking I'd be so happy if I looked like that and I'd have to really stop myself and be like Meg you wouldn't like how many years of experience do you need to show yourself that restricting food manipulating your body in any way just does not lead to happiness like quite the opposite it detracts from every area of your life Absolutely. Uh, but that's why partly why eating disorders are such an insidious illness, because they they cover all that up so easily. They they blanket all of that truth. So part I found part of my recovery was really training myself to be like, no, I'm not going to trust you. You're like the 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 bitchy best friend who says, no, I'm, I'm your friend. I love you. And then goes and stabs you in the back. <laughs> Do you feel like that kind of came with time? Like, at first you're almost tricking yourself it feels like you don't really believe it but you're trying to tell yourself these things but then kind of with time and experience and when you actually realize oh my personality is better when I'm not starved I do have more headspace and attention I can spend that on things I genuinely enjoy and love like this brings me more happiness do you feel like it was kind of time and repetition experience that you began to like genuinely believe it definitely I I I can't imagine anyone who starts recovery or even down the line instantly believes all of this stuff I mean if it were that easy it would have been a lot quicker but that's the thing it's constant constant repetition doing it over and over again fake it fake it till you make it and also being brave and taking a risk because it is really scary and an eating disorder will say you can't trust any of this how do you know how do you know your life won't be worse but that's where the being brave comes in okay this is this is really scary but it can't be any worse than it is now like True. so true and that educating yourself as well must help so much like there was a quote you talk about from Megan Crabb's book stating that only five percent of the population are genetically made to look like society tells us we have to yeah which is terrifying I mean 95 percent of people are being told to be in a body which is not natural to them like they're never designed to have it exactly. do you feel like that really changed your relationship to your body and your expectations around it learning that kind of thing 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember when I actually first read, I think I read that book. It came out maybe out in my second year of treatment. I can't remember. But when I read that, it was already brewing, I suppose, the idea of, hang on a second, maybe I'm not built to look like, I don't know, whoever. And when I read that, I'd be like, oh, my God, well, there it is. And it, I mean, it was shocking. I, I I grew up thinking that thinness was the default. Well, not just thinness, but um, the media image of the ideal woman was just the default that all of us are naturally inclined to look like. And actually learning that, no, only 5% of people uh, actually look like that. And everyone else, we are a human race. We are diverse. It's that idea of a norm versus abnormal. I mean, as a race, we are physically diverse. We're neurodiverse. There is no one way to be human. Um, so realizing that, it, it, it just it really took the pressure off as well. I thought, oh God, okay. So not only is it ridiculous, but it's impossible. Oh great, I can just screw it. Why am I Why am I forcing myself? And obviously this was at a time in my recovery where I felt ready to let go of the, the want to conform. Um, but absolutely, I would very much recommend Megan Crabb's book, Body Positive Power, because it goes into all of this stuff. Um, and that is the statistic that has stayed in my mind ever since I read it. Did you find it hard to accept in any way? Like sometimes I feel like there can be a bit of hatred being like, but why am I in the 95% of people? Why am I not in this 5%? And it's almost like realizing however much I hate it, I'm never going to hate my body into naturally changing. I can't hate my genetics to be in that 5%. How I think of it as hating my body as it naturally is, is like hating my brain for not naturally being talented at astrophysics. Uh, I have never actually read astrophysics, even the the, the word freaks me out. Mm -hmm. I am not a natural astrophysicist and I never will be. I have my talents in other places that perhaps people who, some people who do astrophysics also look at me and go, oh God, how, how does she do that? It's biologically, you're fighting biology, you're fighting how you're naturally inclined to be. So for me, I kind of thought of it as trying to force my body to be in that 5%, even though it isn't. It's like trying to force my brain to be Einstein. It's not going to happen. And on top of that, what am I wasting? What am I, what am I sacrificing, like you said, in order to be Einstein? Uh, if I had never trained as an actor, if I had never decided to work in mental health, that's heartbreaking. And similarly, if I am continuously pushing my body... I'm sacrificing its its health, its happiness. I'm I'm sacrificing the chance to see people love my body no matter what it looks like. At that, like you said, at what cost? Um, so I think no, I don't have I can understand why people would have that, oh fuck it. Well, why why can't I be in the five percent? But are you Einstein as well? <laughs> like you are you. And don't you think, Chrissy, like everybody has they're in the five percent for something in life. So you might not be in the 5% of the best beauty standards, but you're in the 5% for something and you can't ever figure that out whilst you have an eating disorder because it stops you from being able to explore that part of yourself. Exactly. And and also I do find it funny um, the way that our society, I mean, from school, everything's graded. Oh, you're in the top this percent for this. And that. But actually for me, I found letting go of all uh, gradings, whether it is you know this on this test but actually being like 
I think as I am without all these measurements, I'm sometimes going to conform very well to measurements of, let's say, grades, but not always. And that's fine. That's a, a made up. Again, all of this stuff is made up. I am who I am. I can't suddenly fit all the criteria. But absolutely, everyone is brilliant at some things. And not just that, but because beauty is subjective. There's always going to be people that think you're the hottest thing ever. And there's always going to be people that don't. There is no single person, even though the media tells us otherwise, that everyone thinks is beautiful. Like there are some famous people, for example, that I'm like, oh, wow, she's so beautiful. And then I talk to someone and they're like, eh, it's all right, not my type. And I'm thinking, what? And then I'm like, ah, yes, because mm. no one is everyone's cup of tea. We're all Marmite. For every one person who thinks you're the best, there's always going to be one person that doesn't really care or doesn't see what it, what it is that everyone's making a fuss about. Um, so yeah, I really challenging your subjective opinion is not everyone's. It's not an objective opinion. Um, so even if you do, for example, I mean, when I was unwell, I thought, oh, this is the most beautiful I've ever been. Mm, but then everyone who knows me now and knew me back then will look at me and go, you're shining, you're glowing, you're the most beautiful you've ever been. My eating disorder at the time would not have been happy if, if I'd listened to that, but it's true. That's amazing. And I think you touched such an important point earlier, which was the idea, the fear that we have of being unlovable if we do gain weight. And I think this is something that clients come to me a lot. You mentioned the idea of not being successful and not being lovable and this is something you talk about in your workshop this idea of the fact that we are just worthy of the fact that we're human beings and we don't need to tweak or change our bodies to be lovable how did you detach from that idea of changing your body to have love or to have external validation like how did you what was that journey like for you so the um another wonderful a uh, book that comes to my mind is called More Than a Body, and it's by doctors Lindsay and uh, Lexi Kite. And I, uh, this goes back to what I said earlier. So how I think of it is a uh, bad body image um, is a another form of self-hatred. Self-hatred comes from pain, and uh, pain comes from painful experiences we've had. Some call them trauma. Others may not resonate with that word, but ultimately self-hatred comes from pain. And I experienced pain and painful situations um, that sadly did leave me with the belief that there was something wrong with me, that other people's bad behavior was a reflection of me. Having experienced uh, body criticism, I thought, oh, well, that must be the reason, for example. And as I, a, a huge part of my recovery as a whole was actually learning what makes me lovable just inherently and realizing that the experiences I'd had that left me feeling otherwise were not a reflection of me. It, there were other things going on. There were other people who were also um, hurt acting out. And I thought about all the people that I genuinely loved, my friends and now my, my partner. And I thought, why do I love these people genuinely? And realizing it's their sense of humor, it's their values, it's their opinions, it's the connection we have. It's something that I can't really quantify in specific terms, but there's so many things that go into it. Their appearance is probably like the least important thing about them. I mean, obviously I think my partner is beautiful, but is that why I'm with him? Oh my God, no. It's 
I feel quite disgusted thinking about objectifying the people I love by reducing them down to their looks or their grades or their job. And for someone, and I know that many of us have experienced feeling, oh, I'm not lovable because my grades aren't good or I'm not lovable because of this. That's not love what you're talking about. That's praise. And also it's empty praise. I can be very proud of someone when they say, oh, I got a promotion. Amazing. But is that why I love you? No, that's just a, a an added bonus. Whether it's there or not, eh, great. I mean, great for you, but it doesn't change how I feel about you. So I suppose really seeing what relationship is and what it means and experiencing being vulnerable with people, then being vulnerable with me, uh, setting boundaries, learning to say no, all of these things, experiencing being respected instead of being objectified or uh, being conditionally, I don't even call it conditional love, conditional praise, conditional false love, really experiencing what genuine love is. That was probably the biggest thing and not just from other people, but also for myself. Okay, what would it be like, even if I fail this paper, what would it be like to say, you smashed that, well done. You tried really hard and I'm really sorry you didn't get what you wanted. Uh, learning to speak to myself like the, the guardian angel I had always wanted, for example, or in a parent or whatever you wanna call it, or learning to speak to my inner child with love and compassion. It really was the, yeah, the power, it sounds so cheesy, but the power of what relationship is and what love is, which really made me see, actually, this has, what I'm fearing is happening is based on some very distorted ideas of what love is. Um, because love is not based on how I look or how much I do or how many times I say yes. It's based on me, a whole human being with flaws, and another human being with flaws just connecting and working through difficulties together. And that, I mean, yeah, I I hope that explains um, what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, being messy and human together. Absolutely. Um, so yes, essentially I learned that the view I had of love was in itself distorted because saying to someone, oh yeah, oh, look at my amazing partner, look at how they look. And then the, if their their looks change, you break up with them. That's not love. That's the problem with conditions, isn't it? Like you have to keep satisfying that condition to receive that return, whatever it is, the praise. So if it's your grades, for example, then you have to keep getting those good grades. And God forbid, if you didn't, then what happens then? Same with your looks. Like people age, people go through experiences, people's bodies change, people's looks change. People have accidents, people have illnesses. Like we will change as humans. And so even if you did receive this oh great I'm loved it feels like for my looks or I'm conditionally praised for my looks then you're fearful of and now what happens if they change or now I have to keep satisfying this criteria and keep whatever behavior up it is to look like this or I will lose that conditional return that I'm getting exactly and that in a way is well it is how eating disorders work as well they only praise you if you keep satisfying them but exactly that isn't love and I suppose I I thought to myself if I could go back and speak to myself when I first started recovery, like I would say, you've been trying so hard to be loved for so many years and I'm so sorry you haven't had it, but what would it be like to give up trying and just have the people that really are able to love you just 
love you just for who you are? What would it be like to just be you? And anyone who cannot give their heart to you, I mean, they don't really have a place in your life or at least not a central place. So for me, you could say giving up an eating disorder and all of these ideals, it wasn't just saying, you know, screw the system. It was also saying, I'm going to give, I'm going to prove to myself the one thing I was never taught that I don't have to try to be loved. That's it. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. Chrissy, did you do some activity? Like I can imagine that was such a long journey to get to that place. Did you do an activity on a regular, consistent basis to get you to there? Like sort of like a dialoguing back and forth um, between kind of like your eating disorder self and kind of like that guardian angel part of you? Or was it like repeating the messaging over and over or like a mantras? Or was it a combination? It was definitely a combination. So, I mean, I was in, I was lucky enough to be in treatment. Um, So having a therapist, um, having a nutritional therapist. So I was able, like, it was holistic. So the food stuff I could work on with someone who really understood and could help me challenge the uh, eating disorder symptoms, someone that I could get into relationship with and learn to trust, um, obviously other people around me. And then as I started going out into the the outside world so for example drama school testing out the things I was learning so for example I'd never been in a uh, relationship where I could say no and at the time of my life if I did I would it would absolutely blow up and actually letting those relationships go because I realized hang on I deserve better and this is actually very scary and again making space for people who genuinely respected me and being able to practice things like boundaries. It was a whole combination of, yes, the the symptom stuff absolutely dealt with head on and therapy and building relationships. And like you said, what I was doing in my outside life. So I, for example, there was a stage in my recovery where I made little books for myself. So let's say I was about to do a food challenge I was really scared of. I'd have a little book. On one hand, I had the re- the truth that I learned from my nutritional therapist. And then on the other side, it was the eating disorder voice. So being able to challenge that head on. I read so many books, um, also listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks. if I didn't have the energy to sit down and read. Who I was following in social media, such a huge part of it. Um, you know, only following the same people over again, just further entrenches the already dis- uh, distorted and unhelpful uh, values. But what I call diversifying my beauty feed. So following people of all shapes and sizes, all races, all ages, all genders, all abilities, and really training myself to see everyone as beautiful. Obviously not every, you're not going to find every single person, but training yourself to see the beauty in everything, starting to practice that when I was outside, really learning to to challenge that in all areas of my life. Um, But there were many things, many different parts of it, but, uh, professional help good therapy um, nutritional therapy was the the bedrock I suppose and also feeding in those messages I was trying to learn in all areas of my life whether it was through literature or through what I was seeing on social media making my world a safe space for me journaling uh, writing back letters back and forth to myself um, the kind of people I was engaging with being able to recognize hang on I'm not very happy in this relationship what what do I need to do? Uh, so it was a whole big, um, a whole combination of things. And that's the thing, there is no right or wrong way to recover. It's what is not just what is available to you, but 
what are all the, the resources that you can get, the free resources, the free groups, the whatever it is, the people that give free content that are genuinely um, rooting for you, that those things. Yeah, the social media accounts that fill you up rather than leave you comparing or feeling like, oh, why don't I this, that and the other? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can almost hear like niggles of people's thoughts. And I wonder if during your treatment, did you have a fear of, but what if I'm not lovable? Like, what if it is my body that has to be right? What if it is my grades? What if it is, you know, like if you haven't dipped your toe in that water of I'll recover to find out that might feel quite scary. Yeah. I suppose this might not work for everyone, but how I thought of it was I have lived with that exact mindset for 20 years and it's been, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Utter shit. It hurts. Mm. What hurts is that I have believed this for 20 years. I'm just going to try something different And, and just to see what happens. Because I know what it's like to already think I'm unlovable. So what if I just try to entertain the possibility of something different and play around with it? Um, Again, I'm not going to believe it right away. So I'm just going to experiment. Okay, what if I, what if my lovability wasn't dependent on this side and the other? What if everything I've learned is wrong? And that's actually very threatening. Like, what if everything I've learned is, Mm. what if the core beliefs I have about myself are wrong? But also recognize, looking around at other people who've survived and knowing that they've had the same self-hatred, maybe not in the exact same way or for the same reasons, but they have that same self-hatred. That's what binds us all as survivors. We've all known what it's like to hate ourselves. And if you can look at all those people and have gone, well, obviously they were wrong, they're amazing. Why should you be any different? Why are you the one person in the world that happens to be different? Yeah, love that. Um... I was pointed towards Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, which of like it feels very alien and new to me, if I'm honest. Yeah. But she talks about just I think you have you're inherently good, like because you're a human. That's it. That's all you need. It's not that you need to have done this, done that to be good. Like you are a good person just because you're a human and you're here. Yeah. It, um, Dr. Devon Price was talking about uh, a, a chinchilla and wrote, you know, when I look at my chinchilla. Do I think now in order for me to love you, you're going to have to stop doing that. You're going to have to stop doing this. We love our animals so, so unconditionally, like even when they scratch up the furniture or bite or whatever it is they do. Why is, should that be different for human beings? Again, it's it's all it's brainwashing. It's how we've been trained to think. Um, again, we weren't born doing that. No baby is born thinking, ugh, babies love playing with their bodies and biting their toes and this, that and the other. So yes, it's. I think in, if I wanted to intellectualize it, being like, okay, I, I may believe all of this now, but I have learned, my brain has been trained to think like this. So maybe I can retrain it to think things that don't hurt so badly because this is unbearable right now, hating myself the way I do. Um, and again, that that trying, well, what if? Yeah. What if I could play around with it? Hmm. Trusting the process. Absolutely. A lot easier said than done by, by going just going to try it. I'm just going to experiment because it can't, can't be any worse than it is now. And maybe, I mean, eating disorders are very sneaky. They'll say, ah, but it was worse before you started listening to me, your best friend. But what they're basically saying was you already hated yourself, but I gave you a, a way to believe that you're doing something about it, but you're not. All I'm doing is making you hate yourself even more. 
but I'm doing it in a very sneaky way by giving you rewards every now and then. But it's the same thing. Eating disorders are bullies. They're, they're, it's like an, just an abusive person. Um, I treat you like crap, then I make you feel good. I treat you like crap. It's never going to end. Uh, that's not love. Like you said, that's conditional. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you. And actually, uh, I wanted to go back to something you said um, when we were talking about uh, the thing of why can't I, or why can't I look like the 5% or whatever, thinking about the notion of health, um, because again, eating disorders love to use this, oh, this is healthy, this is healthy. And I, I suppose thinking about what you were saying about the cost of, what what is the cost of me forcing my body to look like this? So for me, and trigger warnings here, like talking about, um, you know, some body changes, you know, by all accounts, the media diet culture told me that if I looked like the ideal, my health would be perfect. Okay, let's let's look at the evidence here. When I was working, working on getting myself to look like that, I lost my period, my body started shutting down, I was terrified of food, I had only unhealthy relationships, I didn't have energy to do anything, didn't even have the energy to be in relationship with anyone. I only had two focuses in life, my passions went out the window. That was that was it. My life was just two things, the gym and food, nothing else. There was no laughter, there was no joy, there was no genuine connection, there was no just having fun with your mates. Now, uh, (laughs) I don't look like that anymore okay, so what's my health like now? And I'm not just talking about my blood levels being great. Yes, my physical health may be may be the best it's been, but that's also to do with privilege. You know, I'm a cis white woman. I have access to healthcare, but my relationships are the healthiest they've ever been. I'm resting when I need to. Um, when I'm sick, I look after myself. I'm following passions that I care about. I'm doing things I care about. That sounds a hell of a lot healthier to me than what was going on before. Um, you know, now my body has the nutrients it needs to do everything it needs to do. And some more than that, have the energy to do all the stuff I want to do. And when it runs out, okay, rest time. Okay, chill time. How on earth you could say that situation A is healthier than situation B? Again, completely illogical. So again, everything that diet culture teaches us, it it is just not true. It is completely, it's a complete lie. And there's I mean, there's many stories like mine that will that will prove the same thing over and over again. Your body works its own way, actually treating it with care, giving it what it needs. It's going to be healthier than it's ever going to be if you're sh- trying to shrink it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that. Oh, but it's different for me. I'm different. But we're all biologically human. Like we're talking about biology. We're not talking about you as a good, bad your body is good or bad, whatever. It is just a biological body. And that's the impact of restricting food on it. And then equally in recovery, the impact of feeding your body and nourishing yourself brings about these changes. Absolutely. There, there is no there is no living thing, whether it's a cat or a dog or a human, that is going to be in good health from having food restricted, from having nourishment restricted from being denied loving relationships there's there's no living thing at all that is going to uh flourish so true or magically become part of the five percent where it like nobody adapts to semi-starvation or starvation bodies don't just say oh okay this is what we're doing now i'll just naturally do this like it will always be a fight against your biology absolutely and the body is a genius it will do it will fight for you till the very end it will do whatever it takes 
to keep you where you are at your healthiest, which is going to be totally different from where Jim down the road is going to be at his healthiest. Because yes, we are all human, but again, genetically, we're all built quite differently. There's all there's many factors at play. Um, so a huge part of it was also learning to, even if I didn't like my body, respecting that it was a machine uh, that knows exactly that it has a job to do. Uh, so I'm also helping it to help me instead of just trying to control it. Um, there's only so much it can do for me. Like it's, it, it felt like my body was saying, come on, dude, like help me out here. Like I'm doing my best, help me out. Like give me, I need some food, I need some rest because there's only so much I can do, I'm tired. Mm. And if you refuse, I'm going to make your life a living hell in return until you give me what I biologically need. Exactly. I'm going to make I'm going to make you think about food nonstop. And there have been um, experiments done, the, the, the starvation experiment in Minnesota, where they uh, denied a group of men, I think, food over a certain uh, period of time. And as a result, they couldn't stop thinking about food. They were dreaming about food. They were irritable. They were depressed. They were angry. They were snapping at each other reading cookbooks yeah exactly like there's yeah there is there is no good that can come from treating ourselves like that absolutely Chrissy do you feel that's how you are your relationship with your body is now it's a very much like more of a neutral relationship where you're like you respect it as basically a machine or like a vessel that allows you to have a great experience in life as opposed to focusing always on trying to love it and love every aspect of your body. Is it is it more neutral, would you say? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I went to the, when I started recovery, I went to the other extreme. Oh, I have to love myself all the time. I have to think I'm the hottest thing ever. Yada, yada, yada. And so much of the focus again was on my appearance and loving my appearance. But now I would say it is a lot more neutral. Like if, for example, like, yes, of course, I, I love, you know, dressing up in ways that you know, I, in things that I love and doing my makeup. And sometimes, of course, I'll have moments of like, oh, I feel really beautiful. OK, but that's that's been done. That's one moment. And the focus suddenly becomes on living and life. And instead of just focusing on, oh, do I still look OK? I'm like, OK, I look great now. Who am I seeing? What fun things am I doing? What's that thing I need to read? the focus suddenly opens up and life takes its place. And yeah, okay. So like, I know that, for example, you know, my partner will think I'm beautiful, but again, as as he said, as he told me, that's the least interesting thing about you because we're too busy having fun and playing games and doing silly voices. <laughs> it's, it is neutral because my body is, how it looks at least is not, it's not important. Like, Yes, I, I like to feel beautiful for me and other people will. But again, that becomes a tiny subsection of life because there's so much other great stuff going on. Um, and it's so much more interesting, like how much more fun it is to wake up and be like, oh, I've got a really cool lecture today, laughing with my friends. I'm going to see this person later. Uh, or oh, I'm writing this essay really into rather than thinking, how do I look in this moment? How do I look in this moment? Life becomes so much more fun. <laughs> when it's not like uh, this narrow like needle view of it absolutely um in your workshops you speak about how body image and trauma are connected mm -hmm. would you be able to speak to us about that a little bit sure so similarly to what I said trauma is the so I I learned in my treatment that trauma was the reason why I had developed not just my eating disorder but all of these symptoms depression anxiety codependency uh all of the things that were bringing me pain, uh, these horrible core beliefs I had about myself. Um, and so how I how I see it is 
trauma and all of the all of the experiences we have that have caused us pain that we have not healed from or that have made a lasting impact on how we see ourselves and others in the world that stays lodged in our bodies we haven't healed from them and then if you add on top of that the the additional bullying we get from diet culture um, and all the different prejudices whether it's racism or homophobia whatever it is gets piled on top of that so looking at diet culture we already have these wounds of I'm this, I'm unlovable, whatever the wound is, I'm not good enough from whatever thing, painful thing we have experienced. Add on top of that, uh, the fact that we live in a in a diet culture world and it, it sort of becomes a, a, a way of expressing that pain, a way of expressing that self-hatred. Something I, I said once was um, diet culture is the fear of not being loved presented through the metaphor of food. At least that's how I think of it. So it's just body, a bad body image is just another way for the self-hatred to come out. It could come out as perfectionism. It could come out as workaholicism. It could come out as um, uh, denying your sexuality. Uh, it could come out in so many ways. Um, but that's that's kind of the link. At least that's how I see it. When my body image is just an expression of the deep pain and self-hatred that I I carry about myself, which is there because of some painful thing I have experienced. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I've heard it said a lot before about eating disorders being a form of self-punishment and I'm doing it to punish myself, which personally, I couldn't connect to that well. I was always like, but I'm not trying to punish myself. I'm trying to improve myself. Like I genuinely thought I was trying to do something to make me happy, to make me better, to make me more lovable, to make me feel in control, to feel you know, not anxious, whatever the thing was. Mm. But I guess what you're saying there is like, that's part of the perfectionism side of it, of like, it is actually stemming from a self-hatred there. It's it's just a different way. Like, I can't sit with this. This doesn't feel nice. I'm not good enough. So I need to make myself better so that I'm better. Exactly. And and again, like the eating disorder presents as the perfect solution because the pain is, how I thought of it as the pain is so bad that our brain this thing develops in our brain to try and relieve some of that pain but again it is just an extension of self-hatred because what does that solution give us yeah it makes us restrict our food it makes us like binge it makes us purge it makes us do really violent acts against our body it it is another extension of self-hatred but it's presenting as a very seductive like you said kind way oh but but this will make me feel better but all you all it's doing is making you do horrible things against your body so how is that like for me i think well if i'm sick i need to rest but if my head went ah you're weak you need to make yourself feeling better by staying up all night that's an act of violence against myself that's not going to help even if my head if even if i'm thinking oh but i'm trying to do it to improve um yeah. so again it's i guess i would ask what is the impact is this remotely kind what what I'm doing mm. what yeah is it working is it delivering yeah is it is it working yeah step back to see that as well yeah not just how are you feeling today in this moment but look at your life and the trajectory is it serving you exactly and what, what what's this going to do to me long term as well yeah Absolutely. Um, Chrissy, something we spoke about was this idea of the challenge of recovery being that we are recovering into a world which is so disordered itself and diet culture, body expectations, they're everywhere from school to the workplace to social media. How do you navigate these triggers or how would you advise people who are struggling uh, with navigating them? So 
Yeah, like I said, the world is a very traumatized place and very unwell in many ways. So for me, partly what I had to, in whatever ways I could, whether it was through writing it, through the social media I was taking in, through the books I was reading, through therapy, whatever it was, I had to constantly remind myself that what I was hearing from the outside world was distorted and is what helped contribute to my unwellness in the first place. So it can't be trusted. It cannot be trusted. Curating my space. So like with social media, like I said, following people that challenged all of the things that I was, uh, that I had internalized that I was hurting from really curating my space Um, in terms of conversation boundaries. So one of my boundaries that, everyone that knows me knows very well is commenting on my body or other people's bodies not okay uh hey you look great you've lost weight that's that's an insult that's not a compliment and I will say straight up to people can you please not comment on my body it makes me very uncomfortable um with kindness of course like setting your boundaries uh, kindly but firmly knowing what your boundaries are no I'm if there's a conversation about a diet happening I'm going to excuse myself I'm going to change a subject I'm going to go get a drink I'm going to go talk to someone else whatever it is keeping yourself safe and um really not being afraid to to advocate for yourself and removing yourself if that is what you need to do um yeah that's the thing I would say curate the space you're in and if um if you're in a situation where someone is uh, attacking or or for some reason you are exposed to something very difficult like that having a a safe space you can go to after uh, making sure you have resources to reach out to when you are really triggered uh, whether that is uh texting someone you can talk to or uh having a th- therapy in place or having a support group whatever it is having something or someone that you can turn to in those times of real uh, oh god the triggers are happening I'm believing those things I need someone to remind me that it's not true um so yeah really having a safety to fall back on lots of safety nets or, or one or whatever you can find and um and setting boundaries for yourself yeah such good advice Do you have any advice around how to use social media as well in a fulfilling and uplifting way? You talked about curating your space. So is it, how how would people do that? How would people find accounts that are particularly helpful to them? Or is it a lot about reflecting about how it makes you feel personally after you're using social media? Yeah, a lot of self-honesty and a combination of those things, I would say. I found, so basically, first of all, unfollow anyone who when you look at their account leaves you feeling like crap in any way just unfollow or mute whatever you do get yourself out of there it's dangerous a danger it is and then you can start with maybe one or two accounts like obviously there's the well-known ones like uh, Megan Crabbe's uh, account and things like that and and maybe looking at who they're following and uh, accounts that they they mutually respect and uphold and starting to build a little a little community for yourself that you can look at. Um, but yes, number one, unfollow anyone that leaves you feeling rubbish in, in whatever way. And so and that can take a while. And don't beat yourself up. There's sometimes you realize you don't realize until months. Oh God, actually, that really does affect me. So being compassionate with yourself, uh, we, we don't often realize. Uh, how something affects us until post reflection hindsight is a great thing um so but yeah really starting to and just giving yourself permission to unfollow anyone anytime you want anytime it's uncomfortable or anytime something affects you um and just following those who do feel good to look at what really 
yeah, what feels really empowering, what feels really comforting, what uh, really inspires me. And it, it doesn't obviously just have to be eating disorder recovery stuff, anything. Um, but yeah, if it, if it feels good, it's for a reason. If it if it triggers you, it feels shit, it's, it's a sign, get out. Yeah. Social media can be either way, can't it? It can be something mm. so positive or it can be something so negative. So you just have to be really conscious of that. And even taking like a bit of a social media break and seeing how that makes you feel is also a good exercise to do. Absolutely. And like, what, what amazing things can you do instead of it? Um, are there some documentaries that you've always wanted to see and have never had the time? Uh, it, what, whatever it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's gonna be whatever's right for you. If something doesn't feel good, that's a, that's a signal of something. I know on Instagram, when you follow people, after you've clicked follow, it comes up with other recommended accounts just above or below that. Like, if you like this, you might also like this kind of thing. And even if you, there's someone that you love, if you unfollowed them and followed them again, it would do the same sort of thing. It would come up with a list of other people that are similar kind of accounts. Amazing. I was going to ask, um, where would someone start if they wanted to develop a better relationship with their body and self as a whole? I would say because I'm, I'm not an expert, but from personal experience, um, seeking out professional support, I would say would be n- number one step. Um, and uh, and seeking out uh, books and uh, any kind of free, uh, either free resources or things like books or anything that you can get your hands on. But I would say I would always advocate for professional help. And with that, don't be afraid to to shop around um there's many professionals out there and you're not going to click with it all of them so um yeah finding someone that you feel comfortable with and um someone that for example specializes in eating disorders or works in an anti-diet uh with an anti-diet health at every size modality i would say could be some first steps and um, in terms of resources you mentioned lots of amazing books um, which we will put in the show notes, right, Meg? We'll we'll list all of those. Is there any that you wanted to add or um, think you've covered a lot of good ones? I would also add um, Eating in the Light of the Moon by Dr. Anita Johnston. Um, I was given that in my first year of treatment and it's a beautiful book. Um, there's a book called Lovability by, I think it's Dr. Robert Holden. Um, and there's a book called I Heart Me uh, by... Uh, Dr. Hamilton, I can't remember his first name, um, but the, those books as well, like they they meant a lot to me in my in my journey. I'm trying to think. Uh, the Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Beautiful book. Oh, there's so many. Chris, you're so well read. Yeah, this <laughs> is it's, amazing. <laughs> I'm envious. <laughs> oh, no, honestly, like uh, audio books. Yeah, I just. Yes, impossible to get through anything. Um, <laughs> if you're into poetry, uh, Tanya Markle, um, who goes by her um, uh, pen name Thug Unicorn, she's on Instagram and she's got two gorgeous books called The She Book and The She Book Two. That is just the most beautiful poetry about healing and empowerment and womanhood. So would highly recommend those. I love poetry. Definitely will check that out. Thank you. So Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so, so nice talking to you. I'm just wondering where people can find you. Sure. So um, Instagram, I would say, is the main one. I'm Chrissy underscore Shroomy. I used to post regularly now, not not so much, but I, I try to only put out things that I, in that moment, feel very passionate about. So it's all mental, not just body image, but 
all kinds of mental health related things. But you've got a lot of fab, fab stuff already saved on there as well. So it's oh, really- I do have quite a few videos, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're brilliant, definitely. And what about the workshops, the, the body image workshops that we've been referencing? Yeah, so um, if you would like to hire me to give my workshop on body image, um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. I also do have a website, uh, which is youareenoughcoaching.co.uk. Um, so if you would like to have a conversation about me doing a workshop, at, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. That's fabulous. I've really enjoyed watching your workshop video. I thought it was brilliant. It was so, so informative. It was brilliant. Thank you so much. Chrissy, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. I think it's going to help the listeners so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope so. And sending love to anyone listening. Thank Thank you, Chrissy. Love this chat. Thank you for listening to the Rewired podcast. And thank you to Taluda Self, our fabulous podcast editor and producer, whose details can be found in the show notes. You can find me, Meg, on Instagram at Megzi underscore recovery. And me, Sophia, at Sophia underscore ED recovery coach. We will use this space to share some of the things which have helped us in our own recoveries, but none of it should be taken as medical advice. If you're struggling, please seek help from a professional. See you on the next episode.